Welcome to Multifamily AP 360, the show where we discuss 360-degree views on mindset, passive, and active multifamily investment. If you're looking for tips and strategies, or just want to learn from the experiences of others, both good and bad, then listen on. This is Multifamily AP 360 with your host, Ramakrishna Chunchu. Today's session is latest trends in apartment space from Tyler Chesser. Little bit about Tyler. Tyler Chesser is the co-founder and managing partner of CF Capital, a private equity real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety. Tyler is also the creator and host of the popular top 200 podcast, Elevate, where he hosts uh, discussions with world-class investors and other experts decoding mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investing. So with that, Tyler, our stage is yours. Fantastic. Rama, thank you so much for having me, and a big shout-out to you and your team for putting this on, this educational series and the webinar series that you've been doing. Also, a big shout-out to you. Your podcast uh, obviously continue to add value to, to thousands of listeners and your upcoming second annual conference. So, I mean, I think we've all got to show you a debt, uh, our, our debt of gratitude for just continuing to offer value to so many people in this space. So thank you. And with that, I, I'm excited to be here and thank you for the introduction. I appreciate that. For folks who are attending live and people who are listening or watching the recording. Um, thank you for making time to invest in yourself, because ultimately that is the best investment that you can make as an investor is investing in yourself. And we obviously find ourselves in a time of rapid change, uh, not only in the multifamily space, but in the economy as a whole. And uh, I'd love to go through some of the data points and I'd love to go through some of the trends that are impacting all of the different factors of our world. And again, my name is Tyler Chester, managing partner of CF Capital. Um, Rama gave me a great introduction there, so I'll, I will not belabor that any further. But today I'm going to be talking about the latest trends in multifamily investing. And unless you've been living under a rock, some of these may be very apparent to you, but I'm also going to share some of the details about how exactly everything that's going on right now is impacting us as multifamily investors. And uh, I think I, I hope that you walk away with tremendous value. I hope you walk away with action steps and insight in terms of how you can take advantage of this opportunity and these set of circumstances. Because if we're not careful, a lot of the complexity and the volatility that's happening in today's market may put you in a position of analysis paralysis where you do nothing. And I'm of the belief that we're either growing or dying. And I think this is an opportunity for us to grow. So with all that said, Let's dive in. So what are the biggest trends in today's market? So these are those are really the topics that I'd like to really discuss and dive into in today's discussion. The first of which is that capital I inflation. We have been talking about inflation. It's been on front page of every single news outlet for you know the past 12 plus months. Obviously, we've seen historic inflation. Uh, you, you continue to see a consumer price index print each and every month of what actually is going on with inflation in terms of the consumers, I would argue that inflation figures in, in all reality are much higher than, you know, that eight to 9% that we've seen month after month after month over the past 12 months. 
Um, but that is a big topic that is obviously impacting some monetary policy. It's impacting investors and equity and so forth. Uh, there's a lot to be said about inflation. Also, home mortgage interest rates uh, is a big trend that's happening in the market. We've obviously seen the Federal Reserve make a lot of moves over the past 12 months and some historic moves from all-time lows back to some historic norms. And perhaps we've even got more runway to go. We'll see how things play out, but I've got some charts to talk about on that. Federal funds rates, you may say, well, wait a minute, isn't that the same thing? Perhaps, yes, but it's also impacting the way that we're financing some of these investments. So I want to talk about how that looks in the commercial real estate market and how that impacts investors. Uh, also, we will be diving into some of the value volatility. We have seen some price corrections uh, in the multifamily space across the country and in some markets more than others. But I think there's something to be said about that. And these are definitely trends to be paying attention to. Also, there is insurance and property tax volatility that we are all encountering in today's market. So this obviously impacts two of the more substantial line items on our expense, uh, our expenses for these properties. So obviously, at the end of the day, it all it all boils down to net operating income optimization. And when you have volatility and spiking costs for insurance and property taxes, that is an impactful um, thing to consider for investors. And then I've got a bonus, which we'll dive into just briefly about migration. Where are our occupants moving? Where are they moving from? Where are they moving to? And where is the puck going so that we can skate to where that puck is going and we can score a goal as investors? So these are the biggest trends in today's market. So let's dive in. Let's start with inflation. Uh, inflation is obviously impacting consumers. It's impacting currencies um, and consumers. Obviously, it's it's the cost of goods. It's the cost of gasoline. It's the cost of food at the grocery store. It's the cost of occupancy in our in our rents. It's the cost of everything. At the end of the day, it's it's the cost of living and buying power has been impacted tremendously for consumers across the United States. And we've obviously seen the growth of rents. Uh, in, in the multifamily space. But at a certain point, there is a breaking point. And how much more can our tenants or, or our residents really afford? And I think that's a, that's a topic that we need to dive into. Currencies are getting impacted across the world. Uh, the United States dollar currently today is as strong as it's been in, in a very long time. That is impacting other currencies across the world that are pegged against the dollar. So, you know, for the macroeconomists out there, I think it's a very interesting and very important uh, dialogue to pay attention to in terms of what does that actually look like moving forward? And perhaps is the tide going out uh, before, you know, that hurricane really meets the shore in terms of uh, the United States dollar. So it's something to continue to pay attention to and be able to pivot when, when necessary. I'm not making any projections, but we need to look across the the landscape and understand how does that impact us as investors? Ultimately, the dollar is kind of the foundation of a lot of what we do. And so we've got real assets, uh, but it is important to pay attention to. Material pricing increases is another factor. You know, one of the things over the past few years as investors, we've said, well, inflation, this is good. We've got an inflation hedging asset, right? Our rents reset based on inflation. Yes, that is true. And we have seen that and some markets have been have seen 35% increases in rents, you know, from two years ago to today. 
Others have seen maybe more like 15 to 20, which is all historically substantial, very, very substantial. I mean, historically, you see 2 to 3%. But the one factor that many investors have not really paid attention to until more recent uh, time frame is the resulting material pr pricing increases when you're doing renovations and maintenance and repairs and even new development, you are seeing this hit significantly in terms of material pricing increases. We're also seeing uh, staff salaries increase on site. Now, when you own a large multifamily community, you staff that property with an on-site staff. Uh, we are starting to see in our own portfolio and across the country, staff salaries uh, you know, be in demand for increases, in, in particular, maintenance. Uh, maintenance is in a very high demand um, and you know that that type of skilled labor is in short supply and as a result there is uh, you're, you're, you're seeing a lot of staff salaries increase which obviously impacts your expense ratio and so forth other labor as well whether it's you know HVAC plumbing so on and so forth you are seeing costs just go up significantly so these are things that we need to be paying attention to as investors and of course, we've seen historic rent growth, which is now starting to level off. I think we're starting to see some alleviation in that rent growth. You're starting to see that sort of cool off a bit. Uh, obviously, some markets are, every market is different, but some markets are at a different level than others. Uh, but that historic rent growth that we've seen over the past couple of years is starting to level off. And we're also starting to see some shift in occupancy and delinquency as a result of this tremendous inflation. Uh, that has impacted consumers and, and really our consumers. At the end of the day, our success depends on the success of our consumers and our occupants. So it's important for us to understand how is this impacting them and also how is this impacting the people that we're asking to support us in the operations of these properties. So that's really the high level of inflation. But ultimately, it comes down to the money supply. When you look at this chart from the Federal Reserve, and this is the Federal Reserve system of St. Louis actually published this chart. You can see that, you know, in, in 2020, we had a tremendous growth in the M2 money supply. Obviously, with uh, COVID-19 hit, we had a massive worldwide global lockdown. As a result, the CARES Act was enacted and, you know, money was falling from the sky everywhere and it was being printed and created out of thin air. And so we had a tremendous increase in the money supply and, and and you can tell that there's a lagging indicator that when you have that type of increase in money supply, you know, that that does filter through the economy and we're starting to see that. And we've seen that in a big way over the past 12 months. The question is, where is this continuing to go over the next 12 months and beyond? And I'd argue that there's still runway uh, for that. Uh, also, when you look at the uh, CPI, it just kind of shows in historical context where things have gone for rent in a of your primary residence in the United States since the 20s to now. So we have seen tremendous, tremendous inflation in rents since the 1920s to the 2020s. So over the past 100 years, I mean, that's been almost 10x, almost 10x, you know, since that time. Sticky price consumer, consumer price index uh, minus food and energy, as you can see, in recent times, we have seen a huge jump in that number. Uh, since 2020, it you know dropped for just a brief period of time, but it has really skyrocketed. Um, and you can look back in it more a historical context, and you can see 
what we experienced in the 70s and the 80s. And you can put this into more context, but you can also put in context sort of that the, you know, the climb there and how how abrupt that has been and how 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 volatile uh, things have been as a result. And we can look back and say, well, what was the monetary policy of the 1980s? Well, if anybody has you know, studied history or if you are around at that point in time, you know, conducting business, you know that interest rates uh, went up to, you know, 15, 16, 17 percent in some some cases to fight fight that inflation. So the question is, do we have a lot more runway to go? It'll be interesting to, to see that. And that'll be another part of the later part of this discussion. This was actually a forecast from Mark, Marcus and Millichap uh, early in 2022. They were projecting a 2.9% increase in, in employment. They were projecting a vacancy increase of one point, uh, or 140 basis points uh, versus 2021. They were also projecting 370,000 units completed in terms of new construction, and also were projecting about a 9.4% increase year over year in terms of rent. And I think a lot of that has proven to be true. Now, the next point that I want to touch on is home mortgage rates. Um, anybody who is watching this webinar knows, um, you know, obviously, if you're t tapped in as a as an investor, as a perhaps an occupant of your own primary residence as well, that 30 year fixed residential mortgages have jumped over double uh, in the past 12 months and even really less than 12 months. Um, so now you're seeing roughly about 7% for a 30-year fixed residential mortgage versus 3% 12 months ago. And you're starting to see other products out there that sort of help alleviate some of that, uh, that cash flow issue in terms of 35-year amortizations, even 40-year amortizations. But I do digress just slightly, but I think it's important to recognize, well, wait a minute, if this is the case, how is that impacting the housing market? Because everything is interrelated. As multifamily investors, we have to know, well, what are the options for our residents? And the options for our residents are either to form another household with someone else um, and sort of consolidate to, to protect themselves from prices, or it is to, to move up uh, the totem pole and purchase a house. So how does that impact our occupancy? How does that impact our vacancy? How does that impact our rent rates? And I would argue that the the growth in residential mortgage cost, in addition to and some of the stuff I'll talk about, is really kind of the the elevated pricing still on single family homes for residential occupants, uh, which has remained flat after tremendous growth, is a headwind for a lot of our residents. And folks are saying, well, as a result, I have no choice but to continue to rent. And you know, I think that's a, a huge impact that we need to continue to pay attention to. Uh, next, the housing market transactions have plummeted, yet prices are flat after historic growth, which is what I just mentioned. Rental vacancies are really seeing a downward pressure as a result. Now, there, there are some other sort of headwinds and tailwinds that are happening at the, at the same time where people are choosing to form other households or consolidate other households. So you're seeing that occupancy as a result somewhat tick up. But as a result of less people buying homes or less people being in that market to purchase homes because of that cost. I mean, if you think about the average cost of a new residential home in the United States, it's somewhere around the $400,000 mark. That cost has gone up from what the average was 
you know, call it around $2,000 a month to roughly $3,000 a month as a result of the increase in interest rates. Uh, interest rate hikes are applying continued upward pressure on apartment occupancies and rent rates. And again, there are somewhat of crosswinds there as well. So these are things that we need to be aware of. So looking back historically, all the way back to kind of the early 70s um, in terms of where we are. So historically, we're still quite a, quite a ways beneath where things were in the 70s to today. But you can see what happened in 2020 sort of going all the way down to basically zero to now this tremendous steep up climb in terms of interest rates in the 30-year mortgage average in the United States. Now, this one is basically talking about transactions. So historically, we're still seeing things that are, are rapidly growing. I mean, the, the number of transactions and the pricing of those transactions in the housing market has grown to all-time highs. So there's a lot to be said about that, but I would anticipate that to level off. But there is still a bit of a tailwind in that side of things in terms of just the level of demand and the limited supply of new houses. So there's there's definitely crosswinds there as well. This is <laughs> this is interesting how it's doing that every single time. Uh, housing inventory again. This is uh, this is kind of leveled off. It did it has grown through 2020, but you you look at it and you say, well. You know, the inventory from a historical standpoint is still much lower than it was even in 2017. So in, in interesting and important data points to be aware of. Renter occupied housing units in the United States, you know, is, is, is still at a very high level. You can see that that dipped significantly during 2020, rebounded very quickly and, you know, is really kind of leveled off. Uh, vacancy rate. Vacancy rate is really um, at a very low point. Um, you know, just shy of 6%. So call it 95.6% is really your occupancy rate in the United States for rental housing units. So, you know, back in the great financial crisis of, you know, 20, 2009, 2008, you can see that that jumped all the way up to 11%. So the question is, is there runway here? I think in the grand scheme of things, we still have a very healthy rental market. And a lot of this has to do with home mortgage rates, but it has to do with many of these other factors as well that we're talking about today. So it's important to just understand where we are in the greater scheme of things here. Uh, consumer price index for all urban consumers. This is this is rent for for shelter in the U.S. on average, and this is what economists would describe as a sticky CPI figure. And what that means is that generally when prices go up in rents, they generally stay there. They generally don't go down or deflate. And you can see that that has been the case since really the late 80s, early 90s. And you can see it's almost been, you know, just completely up to the right. And it's it's nearly doubled uh, since the late 80s, early 90s. So that is a, it's a very interesting data point to also pay attention to because at the end of the day, you're going to get to a point where consumers are going to have some challenges to uh, to pay for rent if if salaries do not continue to grow. And in some cases, there's no choice for salaries to grow, like I was describing sort of in the maintenance field of our of our space. You're seeing that's there's tremendous pressure because, you know, folks are not going to do the work for you if they're not getting paid the wage that they demand. They're just going to go do it for someone else. It's not the case. It hasn't been the case across all industries that you're seeing salary growth uh, to that level. 
And so it's important for, for us to understand, well, how is this actually impacting our consumers and you know, what, what are the different pressures in the marketplace? Uh, personal consumption expenditures, and this is on housing, uh, the rental of tenant occupied housing. So, you know, ultimately this is just another price index and it's showing the, the vast increase that we've seen over the past hundred years here, which has obviously been significant, but that really started with the inflation of the late seventies and eighties and has obviously accelerated since then. But you can see, I mean, since 2010, we've had a huge rise in this. Now the salary needed to buy a home across the United States has increased as well. That's, that's another factor that we've talked about. Um, you know, not only the salary that's required to buy a home that, you know, your average the median home price is, uh, 370 or $360 or $360,000 roughly. Uh, I've seen other figures that have said more like 430,000. Um, and so you've got rising interest rates along with price growth. that has been historic over the past two to five years, really. Um, but across the country, you're seeing folks that, you know, if you want to buy a house, your salary has got to be fairly significant uh, in comparison to the national average. So it's an important data point to understand, well, where are you, where do you invest and what are the alternatives of your occupants or prospective occupants? And this is definitely a factor. Housing trends, again, I'll, I'll try to go through this fairly quickly, but ultimately these are things that, you know, Marcus and Millichap was looking at through the second quarter of this year. And, you know, the, the home ownership potential, which is limited by high prices and mortgage rates, you're seeing that, you know, just continue to accelerate uh, the minimum annual income that's a income that's required to afford a medium price home has just continued to grow. And then the percent of households that qualify has plummeted. And you can see that even from 2019 to 2022, that's gone from 47% to 26% that uh, percentage of households that qualify to purchase a, you know, a median priced home uh, at sort of your average interest rate. So I think it's very, very interesting to understand that. And also to understand from a high level, how does the population break down in terms of income? Uh, you know, you can see seven, a little bit more than 7% of the overall population earns an income of over $200,000. And then just shy of 7% is somewhere in that 150 to 200. And, you know, you cascade down the list there, but you also see 18 and a half percent of the population earns $25,000 or less. And so understanding how, how is everything really impacting our consumers and our prospective residents is a critical factor because at the end of the day, if we're talking about eight to 15% inflation, in addition to the interest rate hikes and all these kind of things, well, how much really disposable income do our residents have? These are things to really, really pay attention to as trends continue to develop. Uh, and again, of course, you're seeing the, 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 the surge of rates, which is compounding on price escalation for new homes uh, has been tremendous since really 2020. So now moving on to my next point, uh, the federal funds rate, which is the same really concept that I was just speaking about, which has impacted uh, home mortgages is also impacting us as investors when it comes to financing these deals. Uh, first of all, it has immediately impacted the yield or return on investment that we're seeing on some of these deals as a result of a uh, higher level of equity required to bring to the table 
to purchase, you know, a similar price deal. And obviously we're seeing uh, some price corrections, which we'll talk about a little bit later in this. Uh, cap rate volatility, historically, there is a spread between interest rates and cap rates. And cap rates were at a historic low prior to all of these moves from the Federal Reserve. And, you know, you're starting to see some of this volatility that's coming into play now because cap rates that had, you know, reached perhaps in some some regards, people would have described as a new norm. We're starting to see some changes there. But, you know, some people would argue not enough changes to to really compensate for the level of volatility and the level of increases that we've seen from the federal funds rate. We're also seeing the, the financing being impacted significantly. You know, deals that previously would pencil at a 75% loan to value are now penciling at a 60 or 65% loan to value. So the debt coverage service ratio constraints and the capital stack shifts as a result of that are highly impacting the level of yield and return on investment that we can achieve uh, in the multifamily space. So this is definitely a big trend to pay attention to. Uh, also something that's interesting, this is more of an anecdote. Sellers are still living in the first quarter of 2022 and buyers are living maybe in the fourth quarter of 2023. And I think it's it's very interesting because there's a, there's a bit of an impasse that it seems that you know sellers are almost wanting to kind of hold on to what the market was uh, a few quarters back and buyers are kind of anticipating even further shifts and perhaps challenging developments on the horizon. So, you know, that has impacted the, the level of transactions and transactions have uh, certainly dropped significantly. Uh, I saw a data point the other day and I'm not sure if this is this is true or not, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to hold myself back. But, I, I, you know, I, I saw that there was a 27 percent drop in transaction activity in 2022 versus 2021. We're also anticipating a wave of terms expiring in 2023 on some of these on some of these notes. So we do anticipate some distress being on the horizon of folks that may be uh, either over leveraged, overpaid, uh, improperly financed their deals. So there may be some opportunities uh, on the horizon there to uh, to find some distressed deals. Um, but again, just going back to to some of the interest rate conversation, you can see, I mean, the stair step has been significant. It's like climbing Mount Everest and it went from nothing to uh, extreme elevation there. And uh, really that that started all this year um, in, in the beginning of the year. I think it was March when uh, the Fed first announced uh, an increase there. Ultimately, it comes down to, look, there's been a lot of moves this year in interest rates um, as a result of the Federal Reserve's you know, continued hikes. And we are anticipating another meeting next week, by the way, uh, from the Fed. Many are suggesting perhaps a 50 basis point hike Whereas we've seen 75 basis points over the past several months, uh, it's been pretty consistent. And they're, they've, uh, Jerome Powell has indicated that he is committed to fighting inflation in a major way. And I think many people, many investors at the beginning of 2022 would have said, well, I'm not sure what his capacity to do so would be. But I think he's obviously proven, you know, that he's, he's a man of his word and they are con committed to continuing to fight this. So, We'll see. I think we should uh, anticipate that things will continue to rise in terms of interest rates. But as a result, it's important to note that there have been value corrections uh, on the in the market uh, for multifamily product. 
I can tell you from my own perspective, from my own company's perspective, we're seeing a 15% plus pricing correction from historic highs in our markets, mainly the Midwest and the Southeast, but we're anticipating further corrections in 2023. In some cases, we're seeing 20, 30, 20, 25% uh, increases, I'm sorry, corrections in terms of pricing, which were, based, were from historic highs. I mean, I think that's important to note is that there was a lot of what I would describe as irrational exuberance in the space. And people thinking, well, you know, think values are going to just continue to run and I'll buy it for this price and tomorrow I'll sell it for, you know, 30% more. And that worked for a period of time, but it seems like the music has stopped for the speculators in the market. And so as a result, there is certainly a benefit if you can figure out the Rubik's Cube of financing in today's market. And so we're seeing a big correction there. And for a long-term investor, that can be an interesting proposition. Commercial real estate prices for the U.S. If you look in 2008-9 and bottoming out in 10 and starting to rise from there, I mean, there was a huge correction in pricing uh, in the great financial crisis. And things have just continued to be sort of elevated, you know, in terms of that, that growth there. But, you know, you look looking back, you were seeing up to about a 30% decline uh, at that point in time. And so it'll be interesting to see how things play out, but it is, it's always important to study history and look at, well, how did the last recession uh, play out and, and you know, what, what components of this correction are uh, the same? Uh, this was 2022 investment outlook from Marcus and Millichap. They were projecting, and this was through uh, the second quarter, they were projecting continued cap rate compression. They were projecting continued growth in price per per unit, so on and so forth. So I think that it is interesting to just kind of look at that and look back to the projections, but also to say, well, you know, how are things actually shaking out? I don't, we're actually not seeing as heavy of a cap rate move as I would anticipate moving into 2023. If, if interest rates continue to run, I would definitely anticipate uh, cap rates to reset. And one of the things that is important is you know, once you get a, a very motivated seller that has no choice but to sell, at the end of the day, they're going to have to meet the market. I don't think you've seen as much of that um, just yet. But when you see more of these terms expiring here moving into 2023, I think you're going to see more sellers meeting the market for where it is. And at that point, we'll be able to really see what the price discovery on cap rates ends up being. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about insurance and property tax volatility. This has been a big one. There's been quite a few major loss events. If you think about Hurricane Ian, there was another hurricane. There was a attack. A I'm sorry. There was a uh, an ice storm in in Texas, and many of you, the Texans listening will know exactly what that was called. I, for some reason, I can't remember the name of that storm. Uh, but there were there's been a handful of major loss events costing these insurance company billions and billions of dollars in, in, in casualties and so forth. And as a result, you know, the insurance companies are saying, all right, well, we've got to, we got to make this up somehow. And so you're seeing property and general liability insurance premiums uh, jump up significantly. And even our providers have, have indicated that we need to brace ourselves for 2023 as we look at resetting some of these. So I think that's something that we all need to pay attention to and we need to keep our team honest on to, to be able to be as resourceful as possible to find 
you know, the, the most appropriate coverage for the most appropriate um, dollar. Uh, tax collections have decreased as a result of some of the, the COVID lockdowns and some of just, you know, economic turmoil that we've seen. So, you know, recently, uh, so tax collections have decreased. So I think many in industry leaders that that I pay attention to are anticipating increasing property taxes. So these are all important factors for us to understand. These are two of the most substantial line items on our P&L our insurance as well as taxes. So it's important to understand and anticipate how is this going to impact us and how is it impacting us right now? Um, it's it's interesting to kind of look at this chart across the country and understand, well, where do the states that I'm investing in, how do they fall in the scale of property tax, um, you know, sort of rates? If you look at the most expensive district is in Washington, D.C., and the least expensive in terms of property taxes, according to this chart, uh, is Indiana. And so you can sort of see how things play out across the board. Uh, so every jurisdiction has a different way of handling property ta property taxes. But of course, you know, anticipating how things move forward, you know, there, there's certainly a pattern in this. And um, I think this is an interesting data point for us to all understand and consider as we continue our investing. Uh, lastly, the last point here is a bonus point. It's migration. Since 2020, we've seen what people are calling the great migration. Uh, largely, people have been moving to the southeast. Um, you know, of course, the Mountain West as well is, is one. You know, Idaho is one that's not listed here as just one, one example. But also, I mean, Florida, Texas, um, North Carolina, you know, have been moving to places like that or South Carolina or Georgia um you know from places like new york california illinois so on and so forth so will this continue um i i have some of my own ideas some of my ideas in some cases i i think the inflation i think will be an interesting factor to see how that impacts continued migration because i think cost of living will continue to to be a big factor and i, I would anticipate that um, consumers will be looking for more affordable places to live and so what caused the great migration in 2020, which is more of kind of a, a lifestyle working remotely kind of migration um, and, you know, leaving some some sort of policies from a governmental perspective and places that were open like Florida received a lot of benefit from that. But I think the next migration may be a little bit different. So I think it'll be important to to watch how that continues to unfold as you want to skate where the puck is going. Um, because obviously population growth, job growth, those are huge factors in the success of investing in multifamily. So what other shifts should we anticipate? Um, so I, I think it's important just to understand, well, how everything that we've talked about in today's presentation, how is this impacting our consumers? And how is this impacting us as investors? What other shifts do you anticipate? So where did people move in 2020, 2022? You know, I mean, this is this is where most people were migrating to and from. And so you can see most of there's the southeast did really well. Of course, Mountain West and, you know, some some sort of the southwest did really well as well. And some of these other states where perhaps there was more um, challenging policies from a lockdown perspective or economic perspective, um, you know, were kind of the, the losers in terms of the outbound migration. So it's important to look back, but it's also important to look forward and say, well, where are things shifting as we continue to move forward? So how does this impact? How does this all impact you? 
it comes down to equity. When you think about it, from our perspective, we're, we're sponsors and we invest our own equity uh, in these deals and we also raise private equity. Um, we raise private capital from high net worth investors. And so it impacts the psychology of our investors. It impacts our own psychology to say, wow, things are choppy, things are challenging. And so the question is, well, um, you know, is this an opportunity or is this a, a elevated level of risk that is something that's, you know, sort of a headwind for us? And, you know, the return on investment uh, is certainly impacted in the short term, but it can also be a benefit for us in the long term. Uh, cash flow in the short term, we're seeing compressed cash flow. Uh, as a result of higher debt coverage service ratios, interest costs have increased significantly, and we have not seen a significant resetting of cap rates just yet. So cash flow has definitely been impacted in the short term. Um, we're hearing from some groups that, you know, cash on cash return expectations have diminished. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in 2023 and beyond as we really kind of get into the meat of what I would really describe as this recession or this next market cycle. Um, of course, volatility and risk is important for us to understand. There's things that are out of our control. There's things that are in our control. A lot of this has to do with, you know, the market and the market giving, the market taking. Um, but there's certainly a level of volatility and risk that, you know, is, has really showed up as a result of all these factors. And then, of course, the overall return metrics and assumptions. I mean, I think it's the assumption piece is the most important part. One of the age old debates that we have in our investment committee is, hey, you know, uh, when we look at a five to seven year time horizon for an opportunity, one of the factors, as an example, is is cap rates on the exit. It is interest rates. What is the interest rate environment? It's very difficult to assume where the interest rates are actually going to be in five to seven years. But it's also important to just, you know, to understand, well, best case, worst case scenarios. And can you live with both of those different scenarios? And, you know, of course, across the board assumptions, it comes down to rent growth. It comes down to expense ratio growth. It comes down to um, occupancy. It comes down to, to delinquency. It comes down to other income. I mean, across the board assumptions, you know, if you're going to be an effective investor, you've got to be able to understand the nuances of all of those different factors and, and properly assume and also kind of hedge your bets and understand the probabilities of certain assumptions playing out. But I think return metrics to a certain degree, um, you know, we've got to we've got to take some heat off of what's actually been happening over the past few years. I mean, because, again, there's I, I believe been a lot of irrational exuberance in the market and a lot of dumb money chasing, um, you know, less than quality deals. And so that's made a lot of uh, investors look perhaps smarter than than really they have been. So uh, just briefly, the CF capital difference. This is all about our company. Uh, the centerpiece is cash flow. We do focus on cash flowing assets with an opportunity to increase value, increase cash flow, increase uh, operations. But what we do is all day, every day, we are evaluating the market and we are stepping into this economic analysis that I've hopefully done a decent job of explaining to you today. I am not a macro economist, but I live in that world. Our team lives in that world constantly because for us to be able to make assumptions, we have to understand the pulse of where things are going. But of course, with that, simultaneously, we're fostering best in class relationships across the board when it comes to our teams on site, when it comes to our legal team, when it comes to our corporate headquarters team. 
at the end of the day, it all comes down to great relationships. It all comes down to great partnerships. And so we're constantly building those partnerships. We're constantly um, partnering with investors as well, who we would describe as best in class relationships. And these are people that invest with us because they trust us and they trust that we're going to put them in the best position to succeed. Of course, from there, we're always looking at new acquisitions. In fact, at this point, we probably look at 125 to 150 deals before we acquire one. And so we're always out there kicking the tires, touring deals, underwriting deals, and making offers. Uh, but the acquisition then leads to reposition, um, whether that is through a renovation or optimizing the operations, uh, repositioning the asset from a branding perspective, from a marketing perspective, so on and so forth. We're going in there and transforming that asset to meet and exceed the market's potential. And then ultimately it comes down to refinancing and disposing of those assets. So that's really what CF Capital is all about. And it is a circle that ultimately supports our, our partners and ultimately elevating those communities together. So a little bit more about CF Capital. We're a national real estate investment firm with a purpose. We provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns on high value multifamily communities. And this is these are passive investment investments for folks who don't want to deal with the tenants, termites or toilets uh, that we deal with on a daily basis. But our investments go far beyond acquisitions. We invest in people and ultimately we deliver tax advantage, stable cash flow and capital appreciation with a margin of safety. And ultimately, our purpose is to elevate communities together. If we do right by our residents, if we do right by our staff, if we do right by the community that we're investing in, it all comes back. And it's not about sacrificing ROI. It's actually about enhancing ROI as a result. And that comes down to the abundance mindset. When we give, we also receive more. And it's not a function of because we get to receive more, but it's also an ancillary uh, amazing benefit. And we think that that's really playing the long game. And that's really what CF Capital is all about. So with all that said, Rama, I want to give my key takeaways here and um, just kind of talk about in summary, we are in a very volatile environment. It's not easy to strike the right balance for risk and reward, but there are opportunities that exist if you know where to look. And I think it comes down to great relationships. It comes down to patience, diligence, and really opening yourself up to say, you know what, I'm in the game. Instead of pencils down, I'm in the game and we are open to opportunities. And I think you, you've got to continue to press forward to find those. The storm could be lengthy, so be prudent. Here's one. Also, uncertainty of this level is a major challenge, but it can create significant opportunities. When people are fearful, as Warren Buffett says, you know, that perhaps can be a time to be greedy. And, you know, you don't want to catch a falling knife because there could be some runway for this to continue to, to drop just a bit. Um, so you want to pay attention to that. The good news about this market is that it is inefficient to a certain degree. It is slow to a certain degree. So you can see when things start to move uh, prior to that really kind of being completely settled into the market. So pay attention, keep studying, keep having conversations like this, keep showing up to these type of events and surround yourself with people who are evaluating. Uh, align yourself with best in class partners. I know that we we invest with other groups, uh, people like Rama and his team at Usha Investment Group. And we also invest with others across the country, but we try to align ourselves with best in class partners. We invite you to, to align yourself with CF Capital as well, uh, if that feels like a fit for you and your investment approach as you move forward. Ultimately, I think this is the most important um, bullet point of this entire slide and maybe even the most important 
bullet point of the entire presentation is focus on the fundamentals. Ultimately, we provide a service to residents. We provide a roof over their head. And if we can, you know, provide great service to them on repairs and maintenance, if we can provide a great service to our staff in terms of leasing and really at the end of the day, renewals, collecting rents, you know, paying bills, staying on top of things, getting ahead of repairs, getting ahead of capital expenditures. At the end of the day, these are fundamentals. It's just like, you know, in the game of basketball, it's like dribbling and bounce passes and rebounds and things like that. I mean, this is, these are the fundamentals. So it's not a time to get fancy, but it is a time to do the right thing and focus on showing up every single day. And I think that will prove to, to you to be very valuable. Uh, ultimately, here is my contact information. If you want to reach out, it's just Tyler at cfcapllc.com. Um, Rama, I hope this has been valuable for you and your community. And I just want to thank you so much for allowing me to present today. Awesome, awesome. And there's one Q&A uh, from Iris. What changes are you making when deciding to acquire multifamily assets? So the changes that we are, um, so let's see. So the question is, what changes are you making when deciding to acquire multifamily assets? So um, many changes, really. I mean, the way that we underwrite deals obviously has changed. Um, and that, that starts with the financing. It starts with, okay, well, what, what, what opportunities do we have for leverage on these deals? So, you know, of course, that has changed tremendously since March of this year when we've seen the Fed really have a huge intervention, excuse me, in, in terms of interest rates. So it starts there. Um, you know, all of the things that we talked about today in terms of like, I, I think it's imprudent to go into a deal and say, well, we expect 10 to 15 percent rent growth over the next three to five years. I mean, I think you're setting yourself up for failure while we've seen that over the past two years. It is not a proper, in my opinion, way to move forward. So you've got to look at rent growth and say, all right, well, what happens if this remains flat or is much more modest? Um, also, what happens if your occupancy dips and your vacancy increases over the next couple of years? What happens if you, you know, it's stress testing your model. What happens if your delinquency grows? What happens if property taxes grow, you know, unexpectedly or insurance? I mean, the insurance volatility has been a big deal. Um, and that's something that's grown significantly over the past few years. But I think you should anticipate that moving forward. The other thing is, again, we talked about this at some point in the presentation was where do we truly anticipate um, interest rates being over the next few years? That is going to impact cap rates. It is. Um, you know, it, it may have not completely kind of been a function of the market to a huge degree just yet, but I would anticipate cap rates increasing. So the question is, well, what market are you investing in? Um, you know, what, what are you going in at in terms of your cap rate? Does that make sense? But, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's a little bit of a difficult question to answer because there's so many different factors, but it does start with the financing. And I think, you know, ultimately our assets, the real estate assets and multifamily real estate assets in particular, they are somewhat of a derivative of the capital markets and of interest rates. So I think it's it's a good question, but somewhat of an interesting, difficult question to answer. But Rama, do you have any follow ups on that? So, yeah, definitely. Like uh, one of the main point you mentioned is like, you know, when we go when you are selling the property, we will take care of one. We will consider only exit cap. Right? So that you mentioned is we need to consider like 
interest rates also that will also you know impact you know exit capital you know? that's very yeah. Yeah, and that was why I wanted to share some of those historical charts to show like where interest rates are today versus where they were, you know, a, a few decades ago. And historically, we're still quite a ways beneath where things really went in the 80s and 70s. So, you know, the question is, well, can they continue to run? And could that possibly uh, be a function of the next five, seven, 10 years? It certainly could be. I think it's important to focus on the fundamentals and it's also important to be in a position to where you can hold longer if you need to because you only you only crystallize a loss when you sell or you know of course a refi is is obviously another issue but so it's important to to finance your deals in a way that you can kind of hold for a longer term if necessary and kind of weather that storm if that makes sense yeah uh, another one another one point i want to add is like loan assumptions is a good option you know yeah interest rates yes absolutely so yeah uh i didn't see any other questions uh, feel free to ask any other questions otherwise you know thank you everyone thank you for your time uh i'm grateful for that and if you have any questions feel free to reach out tyler and me uh for any additional information anything absolutely yeah, Rama, this has been a lot of fun. And, and it's, uh, you know, here, here's the here's the other thing I'll say is that this is when things really get fun. And, and to a certain degree, like the past few years have been easier than perhaps they should be. And, you know, they've had their own challenges. Uh, but this is when you start to get the creative juices flowing. Um, for every problem, there is a solution. And I think that's the mindset that we need to have as investors is with all of this volatility and with all this choppiness is to come in to say, well, how can I solve these problems? How can I understand further the motivation of a seller to dispose of an asset? And how can I, how can we get to a creative solution? If for some reason the financing that is available to me is not getting me there, well then let's look at this problem in a different way. So it's going to come down to creative thinking. It's going to come down to surround yourself with best in class partners and, and, and operators and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, some creative thinking is going to be required to capture the opportunities, which could be, by the way, life-changing opportunities here over the next few years. So it could be very exciting and interesting to see how this all plays out. So I just wanted to add that. But um, again, I, I just want to thank you again for having me on the uh, webinar today. Awesome. And I totally agree on that point. So every challenge brings its own opportunities, right? Yeah, yep, absolutely. And thank you again. Thank you very much. And thank you, everyone. Thank you, Rama. We'll talk to you soon. Sure. That's the end of this episode of Multifamily AP 360, but we'd love to continue to help you on your journey. Head to ushacapital.com slash podcast to join our email list for more tips and strategies. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. This is Multifamily AP 360 with Rama Krishna Chunchu. We'll see you next time.